wonder if we could turn in our Bibles again, uh, this time to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. And when you're turning there, just to remind you of the poppy box that's there. Uh, the poppy box is there in the hall, and just uh, give generously for the poppy appeal there. So uh, avail of that if you haven't already today. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. We're going to read a couple of verses, and if you put your finger in Matthew chapter 14, uh, over a few um, verse or pages as well. <coughs> Matthew chapter 9 and verse 1. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the, man, the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Behold, a certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And he arose and departed to his house. And when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. And then, uh, turning over to Matthew 14, and beginning our reading at verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if, thou, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down uh, out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. And they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. Amen. We know the Lord will add all of these readings to our hearts with his own blessing upon them. Let's unite together in a word of prayer afresh. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we thank thee for the uh, blessing that we have tonight. We think of Peter here, and it's just what we were Thinking about this morning, he believed, he got out of the boat, and yet, Lord, he had unbelief. He began to sink and began to get his eyes 
on the wind and on the waves. And our God, we pray that we might come to thee with belief tonight and that we might cry with all of our hearts that God in mercy would save precious souls. And we pray that men and women outside of Christ might have that faith, first of all, that saving faith that would bring them to the feet of Christ and, Lord, that they might be saved and saved for all eternity. Bless thy word, for it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen. At the accession of King Charles III at St. James's Palace on the 10th of September, there was a proclamation that was read by the Garter King at arms, and then the Coolstream Guards that had formed outside on the square outside of St. James's Palace removed their bearskin hats and greeted the proclamation with three cheers for the new monarch. Now, the tradition of three cheers is one that goes back a long way. In fact, we don't know how long it goes back. It really is a tradition that goes right back into the myths of history. The tradition of saying hip, hip, hooray comes from about 1810. Uh, But the actual giving of three cheers uh, stretches away back into history. Some would say that three is a special number. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, said that it was a complete number because you had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, Others have pointed to the uh, significance of three in the Bible. We have the Trinity, first of all, and also you know that three is used on a number of occasions. Peter denied the Lord three times. We think of the three. We think of the um, the number three that is used in different places in the Bible. But whatever reason, three cheers appears to be an ancient tradition. Um, it's traced back in our own history. We know that three cheers was given by the military in 1690. Uh, one of the earliest traditions or the references to three cheers being given um, stretches way back into 1690. Um, It is good then uh, to think about the message of cheer. And you know, in the midst of our economic downturn, in the midst of all that we face in the world, a shortage of oil, we think of the disasters that are taking place in many places, There's news of famines, of uh, factories shutting down, of shops and businesses being on their last legs. It's always good to get a message of cheer. And I want you to see that in the Bible, there are three times when the Lord Jesus brings this message, be of good cheer. And in the three instances that the Lord uses of that, that word, be of good cheer. He speaks of things that would bring us cheer, things that we should be cheerful about. And when he says, be of good cheer, what he's really saying is, cheer up, be happy. And sure, tonight we need that happiness as we come to the meeting. And certainly, dear friend, if you were to meet the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, it would bring that message of peace 
and that message of blessing and that message that would uh, satisfy the soul and would bring real good cheer to your heart. So what we want to do tonight, very simply, is look at the three good cheers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And first of all, then, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9, the portion of Scripture that we read there just a minute ago. And here's the first good cheer, and it is the good cheer of pardon for sin. Look at what it says. It says, And behold, they brought him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And the Lord is speaking to this man. He couldn't move. He's uh, paralyzed. He's a paralytic. He has the palsy was, was a disease that was uh, the, the one that brought paralysis to his limbs. And he says to the man sick of the palsy, lying on the bed, this disabled man, be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, we think of this man, this man couldn't walk, this man is paralyzed, that's his condition. And you would imagine that what the first thing that the Lord Jesus would have done for the man, when they brought the man to the Lord Jesus, four of his friends were burying him here on a, uh, uh, on a stretcher. They were bringing him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord speaks to the, the man, and the first thing that he says to him is, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, you would think, think that the problem that he has is that he is paralyzed. The problem that he has is that his limbs don't work. The problem that he has is that he is uh, poor and he is benighted because of the fact that he cannot walk. And yet the Lord says, Be of good cheer, thy sins be forgiven thee. And men, women, dear fr friends, here is a real message of cheer tonight, that our sins can be forgiven, that our sins can be dealt with. We realize that we have sinned and that we have come short of the glory of God. We recognize that those sins separate between us and our God. We recognize that those sins are bringing us down the road that leads us to a lost eternity. So if our sins are not forgiven, there is no reason for cheer whatsoever. So the very foundation of, of cheer and happiness and blessing is to know your sins are forgiven. But look at the Lord's action in forgiving this man's sin. As we say, we uh, would have thought that the Lord would have dealt with his palsy first, but the Lord deals with his sin first. Now, Many times the Lord Jesus, uh, most of the time, the Lord Jesus did not connect sickness and sin. You remember, perhaps, there was a man who was born blind. And when the people brought the blind man to the Lord Jesus Christ, the people said to the Lord, who, the disciples said to the Lord, who did this sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And the Lord Jesus said, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And the Lord was saying, Well, it's not his sin or anybody else's sin that has made him blind. 
And it was the common belief in those days amongst the people that the reason why you had sickness was because of some sin. It was directly related to some sin. The Lord Jesus sort of dismissed that kind of thought, that sin and sickness are always related. But it seems to be that in the case of this man, there was some connection between his sickness and his sin. There was something that had happened, or because of something that had taken place in his life, there is a connection. We are not told what it is. We're not told the history of this man. But there's something there that in the life of this man has brought about the sickness that he's suffering from. And so the Lord, knowing the condition of the man, and knowing the case of the man, knows that the fundamental problem is not a sickness, it's a sin. And the real problem, the pressing problem, was not that he was not able to walk, and the problem of the fact that his limbs would not work, but the problem of his sin. And we recognize that certainly that is the case with men and women all around us. We know that sin is that problem that benights our souls. Sin is something that comes and brings guilt into our souls. It is something that gnaws away at the very heart of our being. It's something that we think about from time to time, and maybe we want to push out of the very uh, front of our minds, and we want to push it right into the background of our lives. But there are times when we recognize the things that we have done and the things that we have said and the, uh, the uh, way that we have brought distress to other people and my house sin gnaws away at our hearts. And very often, sin does bring sickness. Uh, sin is the reason for anxiety and worry. Sin brings ab- about all sorts of diseases because of the fact that we are guilty and that guilt is within our hearts. But here is the Lord and we see the Lord's action in forgiving sin. And thank God today that there is one who is able to forgive sins. Because we not only see the Lord's action in forgiving sins, but we see the Lord's ability to forgive sins. You know, if we need forgiveness, and we do, then we need to go to somebody who is able to forgive. And we see that the Lord here is able to say, thy sins be forgiven thee. And he is able to say that in spite of the debility of the man. Here's a man who was in a hard condition. He was obviously unable to move. He was able, unable to do anything for himself. He was paralyzed and he had no power and others where um, they were bringing him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps if the, Lord, uh, the man had uh, had any power, he could have brought himself to the Lord, but he had no power whatsoever to get himself to where the Lord Jesus, he couldn't hobble along, couldn't do anything for himself. And yet the Lord was able to say to this man, thy sins be forgiven thee. Rise, he said, Take up thy bed and go unto thy house. And my, we have the mighty power of God. And the Lord is able to, want, uh, to, to uh, take those that are dead in trespasses and in sins, and he's able to bring life from the dead. He's able, he's able to resurrect those 
that are right down in the very depths of sin. And thank God he's able to bring you out of that place. Here's a man, and he didn't merit anything from God. He had no ability to get to God. But he was, uh, the Lord was able to meet him at the point of his uh, need. But you'll notice that not only was this man here, he was powerless, but he was pitiful. Because of the fact that uh, he would have um, had no ability to work, uh, it would have left him poor. It would have left him with, uh, in misery in the world. He was left day by day to sit in one place. And we think of the debility that was upon him. And you know, sin is something that leaves us unable to do anything. We are often captivated by sin, drunkenness or drugs. And we think of the misery of sickness and the sickness that comes from our sin. And here's this man, and we see the debility of his way and the difficulty of his way. We think of his companions here, and they had to press through the crowd in order to get this man to the Lord Jesus Christ. There were those that were thronging round the Lord, and they had to get another way to get this man to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, dear friend, it may be because of the crowd that you're not able to get to Christ. It's because of your friends, your loved ones. Here were people that were sitting round the windows, round the doors. They crowded everywhere around where the Lord Jesus Christ was. And it was difficult for these men to get this man sick of the palsy to the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friend, it may be that you're prevented because of the crowd or because of the world or because of what people would say. You're thinking, how could I come to the Lord Jesus Christ? And all of these things are entering in in order to make it difficult for you to get to Christ. But I want you to see that these men pressed on. They pressed through. They said, we've got to get this man to Christ. He's the only hope that this man has. He's the only one who can forgive their sin. He's the only one who is able to deal with the sin of this man. And dear friend, I would urge you to press through. The Bible says, strive to enter in at the straight gate. No matter what the devil is saying to you, no matter what difficulties he may be placing in your way, get to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him. We see the action of the Lord's forgiveness in, and we see the ability of the Lord's forgiveness. But then I want you to see the authority of the Lord's forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 9, verses 3 to 6, we read these words. He says, Behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go into thy house. And I want you to see that the discussion now 
is centered about the authority, not only the ability of Christ to forgive sins, but his authority. The scribes said that no man can forgive sins but God only. And they were right. It is only the Lord that is able to forgive sins. And the scribes here are speaking the truth in that they're saying that. And they say, but the Lord says, look at verse 6, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He has the authority to forgive sins. Why? Because he's God. Why? Because he died on the cross. Because he shed his blood. Because he made an atonement for our sins. Thank God tonight that he went to the cross of Calvary and he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And because of the fact that he's God and because of the fact that he has made an atonement for our sins, he has authority on earth to forgive sins. Your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be washed away. You can have your sins cleansed in the precious blood of Christ tonight. He is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto me, unto the Father, but by me. And it says in First Timothy 2 and 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one who has the authority to forgive your sins. The only authority. The only one who has the authority. You can't go to priest or prelate or pastor or pope or anything else. You've got to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But dear friend, here's something to be cheerful about. Your sins can be forgiven. The God who cleansed this man and forgave his sins and healed his body as well but forgive his sins, is still the same God who's able to forgive your sins tonight. The good cheer of sins forgiven. But not only do I want you to see the good cheer here of uh, the pardon for sin, but look at also the good cheer of the presence of the Savior. Now turn over with me to the other passage that we read there. Look over in Matthew chapter 14 and look at verse 27. And here is the Lord Jesus. And here are the disciples. They're out on the Sea of Galilee. They have um, gone out. The Lord Jesus has uh, just fed the 5,000 and he has sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee we find that they are, um, uh, it says that they are 25 or 30 furlongs out, which would be about four miles. And therefore, uh, the Sea of Galilee is only 10 miles uh, broad at any, at its widest point. So really, literally, they're right there in the middle of the sea. And a storm comes, and a mighty storm, so that these disciples, these fishermen, who are used to being out in the sea, are afraid of their lives. And in the midst of that, we read that the Lord Jesus comes to them walking on the water. And it says in verse 27, 
But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. There's the good cheer of the presence of the Savior. It is I. Be not afraid. And you think here of the disciples. There they were in the midst of the night. It says that um, he came to them there right in the darkest hours in the, uh, uh, in the fourth watch of the night there, which would have been between three o'clock and six o'clock. So there they are out in the middle of the ocean. There's a mighty storm. It's dark. It's stormy. And they are in fear of their lives. They are uh, completely afraid. But the one who comes now is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. And can you imagine the relief of the disciples when they heard that? At first they're afraid, of course, because they uh, think there's a, a spirit or a ghost or something that they've seen. But when they know it is the Lord Jesus Christ, my, it is his presence that blesses them. Now, I want you to see the command that he brings here. The Lord commanded them to be of good cheer. In other words, I want you to see that it is possible to be cheerful in the midst of the storms of life. The Lord never commands us to do something that's impossible. He always gives us the grace to be able to do this. Here were these disciples, and the Lord's not cruel in any way, and he's not going to command us to do something that's completely impossible to do. He, he's not mocking them here. He, he is saying, be of good cheer, even though there's a storm, even though it's dark, even though you're in fear of your lives. He says, it's possible to have good cheer. Why? Because I'm with you. I'm with you in the midst of the uh, storms of life. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is with his disciples. And dear friend, isn't that a wonderful thing if you're saved? To know that the Lord is with you. It may be dark. It may be stormy. It may be that you don't know how you're going to get out of that situation. But isn't it wonderful when the Lord says, It's I. Be not afraid. And those that are saved in this meeting tonight, you have that wonderful blessing of the Lord who said, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he can say to you, Be of good cheer. And you notice not only the command he brings, but look at the comfort that he brings. And what is the source of the comfort? It is his own presence. He says, it's I. That's what they needed. In the midst of the winds and the foaming sea, in the midst of the darkness, they wanted the Lord Jesus Christ. And dear friend, even though the winds may be contrary to you, I wonder tonight, do you have the blessing of knowing that the Lord's with you. The one who said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. The one who comes to dwell in the hearts of those that are saved. The one who comes and says that he will be present with us. And here he is. And on the fourth watch of the night, he comes walking to them on the sea. And all that the Lord needs to do when his people are in trouble is to come to them. And all our fears will be banished. You think of what it says in Isaiah 43 and verse 2, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. 
and through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. And when thou walkest to the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. And perhaps the greatest trial for many people is the trial of death. But you think of what the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. Thou art with me. And I'm glad that we have the promise of the Lord for those that are saved, that in the hour of death, in that day when we pass over the chilling Jordan of death, that the Lord is going to be with me. He'll be there. You know, we may have the doctors around us, and we may have our family around us at that time. But you know, the only one who can really make us comfortable and the only one who can meet the need is the Lord in that day. And he's with all of his people. Doesn't matter what circumstance it may be. He's with us in the hour of our death. Will he be with you? Can you say, when I pass the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Can you say that he's your shepherd tonight? Have you that comfort? Or will you go out from terror into terror, from terror into greater terror, because you have rejected the one who is able to meet you at the point of your need? Not only do we see the command the Lord brings and the comfort he brings, but look at the confirmation he brings. He's able to say, be not afraid. He's able to take the fear away. You know, as we say, these disciples were experienced fishermen, but they're really frightened here. They were obviously in great danger of perishing. And here is the Lord. And he's the only one who holds the power to be able to say, be not afraid. He's the only one who can put his hand upon us and allay every fear that we have. Do you have the Lord Jesus Christ tonight as your Savior? Have you that eternal peace within your soul and that knowledge that the Lord is with you every step of the way? We see the good cheer of the, the pardon for sin, and we have the good cheer of the presence of the Savior. But let's turn over to the third one. Turn over to John 16 and to the portion of Scripture that we read before the announcements there. And look at verse 33. Now, this is the good cheer, the power of the Son of God. He says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, Luther said that this verse was worthy to be carried from Rome to Jerusalem upon one's knees. And the Lord was speaking to his disciples again here. And uh, we think of here is something very relevant to the sinner because here was the Lord Jesus. He's just a matter of hours before he will go to Calvary. Uh, the disciples had just reaffirmed their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he had said that the hour was now come that he, they were going to scatter for fear of the Jews. And he says in verse 32, Behold, the hour cometh, yea, is now come, that ye shall be scattered every man to his own, and shall leave me alone, 
And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. And the Lord is said here to the disciples, they're going to forsake me, they're going to be scattered. And then he says, in the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He's the mighty victor. He's going forth conquering and to conquer. And I want you to see there are a number of things here that we can count on. We can count on persecution. In the world, he says, ye shall have tribulation. And tribulation, this trial, will come from the enemies of Christ and the enemies of the gospel. We live in a world where there's an unseen battle that's taking place. It is a battle between the world and the Christian. It's a battle between the devil and the child of God, between the forces of good and the forces of evil, the uh, forces of heaven and the forces of hell. There is a battle that is going on. There is that battle between Christ and Satan regarding the character of God and his law and his sovereignty over the universe. And God's uh, word comes to our hearts and it says, in the midst of all of the battle that's taking place, and in this world there's a great battle between good and evil, but the Lord says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I'm the victor. I'm the one who wins this battle at the end of the day. In the world, there are many of God's people are being persecuted. We are told that there is uh, Christians in uh, 60 countries around the world are being harassed and being persecuted and being tortured and being executed for their faith. We read of 200 million Christians throughout the world live daily in fear of secret place, place or prison or vigilantes or state repression. There is a battle against the things of God today. But I'm glad tonight that while we can count on persecution, we count on the power of God. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. He's the great victor. He has settled the case there on the center cross of Calvary. Thank God all evil has been overcome. The blessed Lord has set his feet upon the head of the serpent and he blots out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us that were contrary to us, kneeling them to his cross. That's where he won the victory, at Calvary. And he has won the victory over the devil, the prince of this world. First John 3, verse 8, For this is the purpose, for this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Colossians 2, verse 15, says he has spoiled principalities, and principalities are the uh, evil minions of the devil. He's destroyed them there at Calvary. And man and woman tonight, every man and woman and demon will stand before him and will be judged. And dear friend, one day you'll be judged by this mighty victory because the victory already has been won on the cross of Calvary. He's destroyed the devil, the prince of this world. He has also destroyed depravity and sin, the practice of this world. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 56 to 57, he says the sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Writing to the Roman Christians in Romans 6 and 14, 
Paul is able to say, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. And God, the Lord Jesus Christ, breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. He breaks the practice of sin. All those sins that have uh, hindered you and uh, they have uh, got you in their chains, battened you down, made you unable to do anything. Those sins, the power of the sins can be broken. Not only has the Lord tonight uh, overcome the devil, the prince of this world, and he has destroyed depravity, the practice of this world, but he has destroyed death, the problem of this world. I want you to think about what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55. He said, so when this corruptible, corruptible body shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? Randolph Hearst was one of the most wealthy and influential men of the 20th century. At the height of his media career, he was worth $500 million. And he had an enormous home in San Simeon in California. And he lived there for many years, 90,000 square feet foot. It took 28 years to build. It was really a palace that he had built one of the largest, most opulent homes in America, rivaling the Biltmore Estate in North Carolina. And he invited the Hollywood elite to come there, and uh, he would entertain them. And all sorts of celebrities and uh, powerful people would make their way to that home in San Simeon. But there was one thing that the servants of Randolph Hearst always told people when they came in to see him said there's one subject, there's one word that you should never speak of in the presence of Randolph Hearst. And that is the subject and the word death. Because Randolph Hearst had a mortal fear of death. So much so that when one of the uh, trees in the San Simeon estate uh, died, that one of the palm trees died, the uh, gardeners went to the uh, trouble of painting the leaves green again so that it would still be green until they got it replaced by another living tree. And this tycoon never mentioned death, never spoke of death, never considered death, except in fear. But in August the 14, 1951, Randolph Hearst, Dined, and he had to go out and face the judgment. And whether he wanted to think about it or not, death was around the corner. But men, women, the Lord Jesus died on the cross to deal with the problem of death. He died that men and women might have eternal life. He says, I give unto them, his people, eternal life, and they shall never perish 
neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. He is the great victor. He's won the victory over death. He's won the victory over depravity and sin. He has has won the victory over the devil. Dear friend, tonight you can have the victory. You can step into the victory by trusting the great victor himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you will come by faith, if you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you will have him cleanse you of your sins, then, dear friend, you can step into the victory that our Lord Jesus Christ has won on the center cross of Calvary. He is the victor. And my, what a message of cheer that is to those that know that victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to know the victory? Do you want to know beyond the victory side tonight? Then I urge you with all of my heart to come and seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Call upon him. Draw near to him. Because, dear friend, there is cheer for pardon for sin. There is cheer in the fact that we have the presence of the Savior. And there is cheer in the mighty power of the Son of God. Oh, come and find good cheer in the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. May you come and seek the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's bow, please, in a word of prayer. We'll just close our meeting in prayer. But as we are praying, you call upon the Lord as your Savior. Will you trust him? I'm your servant tonight. If you want to speak to me, don't go away without the Lord Jesus Christ, but call upon him while he is near. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we do thank thee for thy precious word tonight. We thank thee that it is a message of good cheer. Lord, in the midst of the darkness and the bad news that we face and the awful things that seem to be coming down the line, we are glad that there is a message of good news in our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless thy word right upon hearts and draw precious souls to thyself. Uh, Now we pray that thou wouldst part us in thy fear and with thy blessing. We pray that thou wouldst take us to our homes in safety. Watch over us and be with us. For it is in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen.